0: the conversation thanks so you know Throttle Bottom was uh, what was the band for what two three years
1: I guess two years Um, two years two years yeah two years and then uh, I think that Matt kind of got Matt wanted to try different stuff and like you know I think the, the version of what we were doing as a three piece was obviously like not as good as with Kevin And he was, um, he was interested in pursuing what became uh, Kill City Babies with Derek Erdman. Mm -hmm. And so when he told me that, I immediately went to my buddy Joel McAdams, who I knew was putting a band together with uh, Alex Hickox and Heather Royer. And I was like, hey, can I come be in your band? And he was like, yeah, of course. And then that became Harry the Spy. Yeah. How long was Harry the Spy a band? Uh, in one form or another from 93 to
0: 97 or 98. God, it seems much longer. You guys did a ton of stuff. I, the first thing I recall was the, the Fast Kids Go comp. And I sort of alluded to it in Jamie's episode, you know, about how, like, you know, the the idea, at least the way I understood it, was that the fast kids was like, sort of like a, a phrase for, we're going to do stuff. We're going to make yeah. stuff. We're going to be creative. We're going to make stuff and we're just going to do this. And it wasn't even like, there wasn't a lot of whole talk about quote unquote DIY ethics, you know, or anything like that. It was just like, no, we're just going to do this. We're just, this is how it's going to happen. And it didn't yeah. seem to, didn't seem to matter how it was going to occur as long as it was occurring. It just happened that the, the tools we had available to us were strictly DIY type tools you know and i remember uh the the recording (laughs) the recording (laughs) session was was fucking genius but also very very funny because you know i had never been on a comp before that but in my head even though i didn't know any better i thought why is every band that's on the comp here at the studio tonight (laughs) you know that's weird and so
1: i thought because we talked about this last time and i didn't have a good answer for you but then like as i kind of thought back on it i remembered the reason we used that studio all together on that day is because um and i I said this last time it's good sock i had just recorded there and i got a good deal What it was was that like sakai got a good deal there because they found out that this guy had a day rate in addition to his hourly rates and the day rate was way cheaper huh so i was like oh okay so i'll get all the bands together and we'll go down there together and we'll get the
0: day rate oh that's right because you could block off like three days and get a discount as opposed to
1: yeah, or one day, but as long as you were, as long as you weren't trying to come in for like two hours, because we were probably only there for like six or eight hours. We did it all in one day.
0: I don't, I don't think it was even eight hours. It was six at six tops. Yeah,
1: but we knew. I knew it would be cheaper by some fucking fragment
0: if we all went together. And plus, I just thought it'd be fun. It was fun. I had a good time. I, I mentioned this anecdote last time we talked that. We went down and we did our song. We came up, one of the guys in ballpen It was like, "Oh, we're the professionals." Like well. <laughs> so we kind of gotten that. I, I just kind of looked at him like, "Oh, well, if you've seen our band practices, you would know that that's fucking not the truth." I was surprised we were able to knock it out in two or three takes, or however many times, how many, how, however many it took us, because it was just, it was just, um, it was a strange occurrence. And I remember Joe and Nathan saying, "Oh, we're we're gonna go get high." so (laughs)
2: that's like
0: see ya yeah they're like we're done our 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 job is done here um so was the intent really to like do a full record label like i think in
1: my i think in my mind at the time it was but then uh you know i definitely didn't stick with that but that's i just i was, and we talked about this last time but i just i was at this point where i kind of wanted to try everything you know like right I want to be in a band i want to make a zine i want to put out records like i just <clears throat> i guess the thing about diy that really intrigued me was that you could you could just try everything and then through doing that i kind of realized that like what diy really meant was like freedom like as long as you're cool with the parameters of how you can do it <clears throat> on your own time with your own budget you can do whatever the fuck you want
2: right.
0: you know and that's kind of how everyone was tackling things before that became, like, something that people talked about, you know. Because I remember – you probably remember this. Like, once shows really started picking up steam at the Y, and you guys were playing there, and we were playing there, and a lot of other bands, it, it seemed like – and not just at the Canton Y, but, like, across the country, like, then it became – not just a means to do something, but also became code for, well, if you're not DIY, you're not punk. Right. It became some, it kind of became something else, which I'm not saying I I totally disagree with that, but I also kind of do disagree with that. I kind of don't care one way or the other, you know, it's, it's, to me, it was always more like, well, what's the band about?
1: Right. If If they're,
0: if they're setting out to be musicians for a living, if that's their mission statement how pissed off could I be about that they're letting you know up front I
1: fully bought into it for a while for a good while for sure and then I kind of loosened my stance on other people but still felt really strongly about um here at the spy sticking to that and we were unified in that it wasn't just me like we we were really together on that like
0: how long was it after the band started that Alex and uh, Heather parted ways with the band?
1: Uh, well, I guess Heather quit first, and that was probably about a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and then, and then Tom, kind of like Brian, Tom bought a bass and an amp <laughs> in joined <laughs> the band, which was cool because he like, I mean, Tom's like a savant bass player. Like he was so good from the jump. Like he just, he has this really kind of like. Uh, Joy Division style, but it's also like completely his own. He had great ideas. And then Alex, I guess, right, right after we recorded our songs for the Split Sevens with Green, Alex decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And he definitely didn't want to go on this tour that we were planning with Green. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, you know, I guess that's a year after that. So by 94, because I guess we start, I guess we started in 92 so maybe like a year and a half to two years when alex and heather quit by 94 jamie's our drummer
0: yeah and you guys did, you guys did definitely do that you definitely did that tour with grain or did that fall yeah through? we dean bought a astro
1: van and we went in my chevy cavalier mm-hmm. and uh, we just took our guitars and used our amps. but yeah we definitely did it we definitely like we kind of like did what you're supposed to do or we went on tour in support of our record together. Yeah. And it was actually like, not, I mean, it was not bad. Like we went out for 10 days and probably had eight shows mm-hmm. and I would say that five of them were like really good shows.
0: Yeah. Um, so after that you were kind of like, <clears throat> how would I put this? You guys were really, you guys seem to be busy. He always seemed to have something going. Like you had a lot. Um, not well, We just, were
1: basing our lives on our bands. So we were really right. seeking to stay busy to justify that mindset.
0: Well, I remember like the, I, I liked the split with grain a lot, but I think the thing I liked the best, at least early on, um, before the God gave us courage record was the uh, circle a indicator seven inch was that at right after the um the time like the it's really quick man (laughs) because uh so
1: we uh can you hear my dog Um, yeah it's fine (laughs) uh okay so we get back from that tour and then you know kevin kind of like with throttle bottom kevin's got to go back to college in columbus because oh i'm sorry i didn't mention that kevin guyer filled in on drums for that tour okay and then we got back and he had to go back to school and we like, we tried out this guy from Cleveland who was really good and he was really nice. He was somebody I knew and I liked him. But then right after we tried him out, Velocipede broke up and Tom and Joel were like, we have to get Jamie on drums if he'll do it. Yeah, And I was kind of like, oh my God, but we're going to feel so bad telling this dude that we're going to get somebody else in there. Like, dude... We have to get Jamie on drums. I yeah, like, you. No, I mean, access- of co- of you had- course we do. Of course we do. You're right. So, you had of course we. He's one of the better musicians
0: yeah, in the area. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, and so and so Jamie joined our band, and then we recorded um, we recorded two groups of songs at once: one in our basement on Jamie's Tascam eight track, and one at Waterloo Sound, this little studio in Kent.
2: Mm -hmm. And we would go
1: on to, okay. And we'd go on to form like a pretty solid
0: relationship with them. I recorded there once.
1: Oh yeah, they're great. Yeah. And the idea was one of these recordings would be the seven inch one would be the cassette and we'd release them both at once. And then as we were putting the songs together, we thought it would sound cool to put some of the home recordings and the studio recordings on the seven inch and then some of the home recordings and some of those recording home studio recordings on the tape. And that's how we did it. But that was really, anyway, to get to your point, that was really fucking quick after that grand split with a different drummer, like less than a year later.
0: Yeah. We've and got, we've
1: got a new drummer. We've got a whole batch of new songs. We have like a pretty different sound. And we've already made another record.
0: Yeah. Cause it was, it was really strange. Cause like, um, you guys were all in Kent and I was in Akron and our paths were crossing a lot. We were talking on the phone a lot and we were, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. still doing stuff, but you know, as far prior to that, we would actually hang out, hang out. Right. But then we were only pretty much seeing each other at shows, which is one reason why I love playing with you. guys. like, well, I get to hang out with my friends too. I like the band and I get to hang out with my friends. Right. Um, I just remember that <laughs> as stuff was happening. Like, wait, what do you mean you have another record? <laughs> so, <laughs> so everything seems like, you know, because I was involved in my own world doing that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. um, as things were unfolding in Canton, I I alluded to this earlier, like I always have to remind myself. Or I, I started having to remind myself a number of years ago that a lot of the misgivings I had about what was going on down there was based on the fact that those people were kids. They were children. Just like in the big picture of things, we were children. We were early right. 20s. You know, late teens, early 20s at best. And with the whole, uh, when DIY was the order of the day, like as far as being very, uh, you know, what would they they would call it? Uh, call out culture, what is what they call it now? But there's a lot of that sort of thing going on. And I remember a band that I really actually liked that's on your list, and I liked them quite a bit. That sort of fit into that world, but were a part of something more important than just petty scene politics um Huggy Bear taking the rough with the smooch um when did you first hear that record
1: so I first heard that record um I first heard Huggy Bear when I bought the Bikini Kill Huggy Bear split because I was already a Bikini Kill fan Mm -hmm. and I really liked the Huggy Bear songs on it and then I just noticed that you know, oh, they have they have this record. Like, it's a I guess it's a ten inch. I was like, oh, they have their own album. And then like I fig I later found out that it's actually like a singles collection. It's like some seven inches that are like kind of hard to get, but it it really works well as like an album album. And like getting back to what I was saying earlier about like recording some stuff at home and recording some stuff in the studio, that record is one of the inspirations for that because that is like a collection of like. A bunch of like wildly different sounding sessions right just put stitch together but it like it's fun and it works and it's cool that it it takes all these turns and like the the sonics change and there's all these different approaches like i thought that was really um for lack of a better word like just really good art you know yeah to build an album that way so i guess i first heard that like um I know because I know where I lived. I lived in this apartment. So it was like before Jamie joined here at the Spy, but here at the Spy was a band. So it must be like 93, I guess.
0: Okay. Yeah. So but that's I about, just, all around that same time that we're talking about. I suspected it was because I'm, yeah. I'm somewhat, I mean, I like them a lot, but I'm not familiar with all the time frame necessarily, like specific dates. Sure. But yeah. it seemed to be part and parcel with like that era i hate that word era but that's what it was yeah every year
1: of my life at that time felt like five years you know like there's so much going all the time and you're like your your band is trying all these different things and you're discovering all these different things you know like i had like a new favorite band like every fucking three weeks you know what i mean
0: yeah well i mean there was so much stuff coming out i mean um i made the made a comment one of the episodes that i felt that uh you know the '90s overall for me was like the worst era of like punk and hardcore in a lot of ways. You know, and I, I also mentioned in the same episode that uh, you know our guitar player Josh is like, "Well, are you romanticizing what was going on in the '80s?" And I'm like, "Well, no, because I wasn't a part of the '80s. I don't right. know anything about that. I know my favorite music is from then, but like the experiences I had, um, I mean, clearly the good outweighed the bad in that." I kept playing music. Right. I kept doing stuff one way or another, but I think just, there was a lot of stuff that um, just seemed like utter nonsense to me. You know, there's
1: scattered time
0: that, that, I think that's what what was hard for me. I think that there's something in me mean, is like, no, there needs to be, I, I need to have a clear focus on, right. this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was, it was really yeah. difficult and watching people bounce back and forth and not realizing that i'm kind of doing the same thing to a greater or lesser degree mm-hmm. it was really hard to sort of you know cuz again like i said they were all kids but we were kids too right. um but the only reason i kind of mentioned that is i remember like a lot of my um bad feelings about the why overall all the best stuff happened when we were like playing with you guys and people, we had it, relationships prior to going to the Y. No, it totally. makes sense. Yeah. Like, it no, i more like, I'm like, totally those, agree. those are my people. Now, again, I, I know plenty of great people from back then, but. Um,
1: well, it was an opportunity for us to play together. And when, when we were doing shows together at the Y, you know, you've mentioned before that like there was nothing going on in Akron and we had not yet figured out how to make something happen in Kent. Right. So that, and you know, and it was kind of tough to get shows at Cleveland at that time. Like really it was like, impossible. Like Next to impossible. There was nowhere to do it yet. So, you know, it was like, yeah, we get to go play with with Larry and Bob and Joe and Nathan, and we'll see Sean and we'll see whoever else, you know, and it'll yeah. be fun, even though like we won't really connect with the kids and <laughs> we won't really like a lot of the other bands, but it'll be something to do. You
0: know? Yeah. And it was, it was. I will say this: the one thing that I didn't appreciate in some ways like the people who came out the other end of that whole scene um that actually continued to make music and it wasn't just something to do on whatever night they got what i felt was the idea behind all of it was that it didn't matter whether or not the band sounded exactly alike there was nothing more boring to me back then than to have to play with um a stompy new york influenced metalish <laughs> leaning band which is what we were i am not knocking us but i mean that that's that's the sandbox we were playing in right but there's nothing more boring to me than to have to play with a bunch of bands and sound like that right yeah. so um and i think that the people i've worked with after that that come from that scene sort of appreciated that too and it felt it, it's just kind of the one cool side effect to everything being scattered and bouncing around was that not all the shows were, um, they weren't all homogenous. They were very, um, wild and different sounding all the bands, you know, varying skill levels and stuff. Um, I'm sort of trying to I'm sort of trying to I'm struggling here because I don't want this to be the same exact interview we did last time so you have to forgive me. And that that's that okay. line right there will be cut out, or maybe what? not. Like, <laughs> I, don't
1: I, don't I don't think I don't um, think that we would even be able to do the same interview we did last time. Like no.
0: No, we're too self-conscious about it. That's
1: right. <laughs> A couple of professionals, man.
0: <laughs> do you have any like particular like was there any I mean because we had that great story about garrow hall but were there any good stories about the why that you recall that like anything uh, it doesn't have a story that or dangerous or
1: i have a story but i don't i think that you're going to want to cut it out it's Which about one? you no go ahead it's funny I, we'll cut it out if you want to it's it, right. it's a garrow
0: hall story okay um <laughs> oh is this the uh the time bomb and um arm's length and uh this is a gag reflex story yeah um that involves a water bottle yeah uh, you, want, you probably don't want this
1: <laughs> or you could cut out the band name <laughs> it's too you late now we already
0: used all three <laughs> well, bands you, can, play.
1: you can edit <laughs> in post <laughs>
0: Go ahead and tell it. Maybe what I'll do is I'll save it and share it with uh, close friends because it cracked, is it, dude it,
1: it fucking cracked me up at the time because like, you know, I still didn't know you that well, like we've been hanging out together for like a, a couple of few years. yeah, but I, you know, I knew that you were like a smart ass, and I was like one of my favorite things about you because I'm a smart. I, especially then, I was like a big smart ass. Yeah. And so I really felt like we connected in that way. And so we're watching a band play. And you're trying to tell, you're like telling me a story. We're like talking instead of watching the band. And the singer gestures to you to come get and fill up his water bottle. So you grab it while you're still talking to me. You're still telling me a story. So I follow you into the kitchen off the side of the room. You fill up the water bottle. <laughs> still telling me a story. You don't take even a fucking breath.
2: <laughs>
1: while you're still telling me your story. <laughs> put the lid back on the bottle you're still talking to me the whole time you hand the dude his water back and you keep talking to me like nothing has fucking transpired <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> the moment like, it was said. just
1: it was just an involuntary response in your part for having somebody motion to you to do a chore for them and you're like okay motherfucker
0: yeah i <laughs> i might i don't know i'll i'll decide whether we're gonna keep that or not later but uh, (laughs) i knew exactly what it was the moment you said Garrow hall and something i was like okay i think i know where he's going with this one because i that that and um the only other story i remember about gero hall distinctly had nothing to do with either one of us uh that that crappy uh band time bomb was playing there the dudes who thought they were like gangsters or whatever i
1: remember time bomb
0: uh they broke the stage. They're jumping up and down and broke the right. stage. There was a big to do about that, and uh, everybody's really, really mad about it. And people were looking at Strayside and straight was I was just like, ah, I didn't know they were gonna do that, you know. So I was like, you know, just, um, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of, I guess, you know, as down as I am on the why, like I said earlier, I, I do have a lot of. I do have a lot of fond memories of it. I think not really memories of the shows, but the handful of people that I actually became close to. I think that's why I still look at, that's why I still look at that with some, you know, uh, good feeling, you know, but totally. just overall the nineties just was, it was such a miserable time because everything started becoming so, you know, fractured. And I, bought into the earnestness of what i thought hardcore punk was supposed to be i bought yeah. into the idea that you know hey aren't we supposed to be playing shows together aren't we supposed to be not like trying to you know murder each other at shows or on the reverse side like politicking against you know right, said right. band well, and, and i, I think
1: th- that's i think that's kind of how i started veering towards stuff like Huggy Bear bear like um the gravity stuff or like kill rock star stuff. Cause even though like, there's still like a little bit of like uh, dogmatic DIY politics in there. It's still, it's to me at that time, it really seemed like it was really just about the music. Yeah. And I, and I think that's how I started. I was like, Oh, you know what? These are actually like the new punk. This, these are the new punk bands or at least these are the new punk bands for me.
0: listen to unwound uh, I, around the same time <laughs> this is all, Christ, this is all
1: well, like like i'm sure i'm just, small
0: window here man
1: well it's funny because i gave you two records i liked in high school and then i gave you three records that i discovered like well it's around the same time but um unwound i heard unwound's first record around that time and then um i heard their second record on that grain here at the spy tour somebody like had it at their house and i was really taken with how much of a departure the second album was from the first one like i liked the first one but i felt like it was the kind of thing where like it was really showing its influences and that's fine but then that second album which is called uh new plastic ideas Mm -hmm. very different and very much just like boom this is our band this is what it sounds like it's all our own and i and i was so like impressed and taken with that and then a couple years later the one that I put on my list, the future of what comes out and it's like, it's that same uh, vibe of the second one, but it's more, um, it's a little more like songy and like poppy and the production's better and like the songwriting's a little stronger. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I was really, really blown away by it. I think the thing I like about that band so much and that record in particular is that it's like, uh, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like sad, like mood music, Yeah. But it's also very, very raucous and aggressive. Like the, the rhythm section is super aggressive. It's loaded with like fast and weird guitar riffs, but it still has this kind of like downbeat kind of sorrow thing happening, but it's like it's balanced and blended in a way that I think is really strong. And I, I don't know, it's just it's one of those records that like I love as much today as I did in uh, whatever year it came out in 94, 95.
0: olympia i think they're originally from san diego and then they relocated to olympia. did i I'm, did i mention this the last time we talked that i was pretty much convinced that they were like a an am rep band for some reason <laughs> like in my head i've just always had them as an am rep band and
1: they're, I, they're not but i think that of the of the kill rock stars bands of that time they might be the one well i guess carp would be the one that
0: god i love carp they're great maybe the,
1: the one that would make the most sense as an amrette band but maybe unwound comes in second place for that cat
0: yeah carp is just dude so amazing. great you know and it and i just remember thinking about carp just like this is exactly how like if you're going to do metal in a punk rock context this is the way to do it and it wasn't even like Distinctly metal. It was just, it was heavy. And it was just like aggressive aggressive and yeah. abrasive, you know. Um, and there were other ways to do it too, but I just remember hearing that just being in love with it. Um yeah.
1: although yeah. I didn't I didn't like Good. them when I saw them.
0: Oh, really? Here at the
1: spy played with Carp at the Neil House, and they were like incredible for like 35 minutes, and then they played for like an hour and 20 minutes.
0: Oh Jesus.
1: And I Christ. just can't have that.
0: That's too much. That's too much, <laughs>
1: especially at a house show. Get the fuck out of
0: here it was funny um i kind of sort of realized how short my sets have always been even back to splinter like in my until i saw a video that um uh, somebody put it up it's us and you guys at mama joe's are singing sam's there's a video on youtube Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and the time the the time marker for the set is like 20 minutes i'm like Really? Why am I convinced we always played like 40 or 50 minutes? Like it just felt (laughs) like forever. I know. know. And maybe it's just because- Well, good for you. You always did it right. I guess. I don't know. I mean, well, you know, the songs were much slower. So maybe that's why I just assumed that they were longer, but I couldn't imagine sitting through any band for, I mean, it would have to be somebody special for me to want to sit for an hour. Right. You know. I think if you give
1: me- If you ticket four ahead of time or something. Yeah.
0: If you give me 35, 40 minutes, I'm good. you know and that's that's pushing it but if it's a hardcore punk band it better be no more than 25 minutes dude totally and we used to we talked about this last time we used to get
1: that wrong we didn't start playing short sets until we saw born against yeah and they played for like what 15 maybe 20 minutes and yeah me in particular like i just i couldn't my mind was so blown by the fact that like this established band intentionally played a set that short Right. But it was so arresting and perfect it was just right amount my of time and I was just like oh right it was great Play a short set that's what you do
0: it was great it wasn't as good as the Chicken head show but it was great want.
1: summer of shows born against chicken head and rorschach all in that pizza basement in kent
0: it was i'm surprised that guy or whoever owned it let anybody do any of that you know but that was it that was the i don't think there was anything after that because it kept changing hands you know it was singing sam's and it was mama
1: joe's and then it was gourmet wing and burger company oh i didn't know that and they really didn't like doing it and that's who owned it that whole summer
2: oh of those shows
1: and then okay. that's when we started, after that is when we started having house shows or shows at Europe Gyro.
0: So were there were there a lot of shows at houses in Kent or were you guys moving around a lot, like playing other places? Because it seems to me like you guys were, I might be mistaken about this, but to my mind, it just it felt like you guys were playing Columbus a lot too. Well, we were playing Columbus a lot,
2: yeah.
1: But I think that, you know, um, well, I think one of the ways that we... Or one of the reasons that we stopped playing in Canton so much was one, there's that summer where like these kind of in their own right, like significant bands somehow ended up in Kent, whether like, they were booked there, their show got moved there. And that kind of got us thinking. And um, I think w- what happened was like, we realized, well, one, we transitioned from living on campus to living in apartments to then renting a house together. Yeah. And when we rented a house together, we realized that like all the other houses on our street, were constantly having like these really loud parties Mm because Kent is kind of a party school. Yeah. And so like a show in a living room is no more of a public nuisance than that. Right. And that just goes on and nobody gives a fuck. So we could just start having shows in our house, you know? So now we have this new way to like, to do it if we can't find a place to do it let's we'll do it at home that also means we can practice all the time because the noise is not really a concern and that kind of gets back to your earlier point about how we're like constantly making records and doing stuff and uh and then i guess through that that also kind of gives us this momentum where now we're getting asked to play in like columbus and then like a few months after that speaking tongues tongue starts up and we're getting asked to play there and you know what yeah. I mean? Like it all just kind of snowballs from like going from like, God, where are we going to play to like, Oh, we'll just play in our living room to like, Oh, we're getting asked to play other places. And then I that think- turns into like, Oh, nobody likes us around here. So we'll just go on tour. You know? Yeah. Well, what made you think nobody likes you around here? Cause we thought that we should be like the biggest band in the fucking world. And we weren't. So oh, well. we went on tour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm being silly, but
0: not really. Like, no, well, no. I mean, I think yeah. that's that's a hard thing to sort of adjust to because you sort of have this idea that like I, once we started playing shows in Canton, I for we you forget that you were you. I'm just the royal you. You forget that you were playing to 20 people at best in the shows at Crunch Face House. To I'm not lying. Sometimes there were a hundred some odd kids that oh, they yeah. can't watch shows.
1: Shows were packed,
0: you know. And when that sort of thing goes away for whatever the reason was, for us it was, you know, we were checking out as a band, like overall. And we tried to sort of do something after that. And you just sort of, um, it's not. It's not that you want to be the biggest band in the world, but you want to keep moving you don't want to go back to playing to just the 20 people right so i know exactly what you're talking about you know totally but Um, i I think one of the
1: reasons i said that is because like what i one of the reasons i said like nobody likes us around here is that like you know it does canton shows like it's a diverse crowd there's a lot of kids there and there's a handful of them that appreciate what we're doing but we're not like moving the whole room the way that like life game or some shit like that is you know like it's just right band we're doing that... is not their thing so then we like can refocus and be like well if 20 people want to watch us play 20 people can watch us play in our living room
0: instead of driving 40 minutes to canton yeah but yeah like, yeah no that makes perfect sense um you know my criticism of the 90s really kind of pertains mostly to everything 96 and before that you know because by then my band was done, I was on to another thing and speaking tongues was a thing. And I remember um, you know, you you were so busy touring and putting out a ton of records, like, you know, Gotti of e. Scourge Sing and Unfuckwithable and those records. But I remember, you know, we 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 never lost touch, but we didn't see each other much until um and this only comes to mind because I drove by there just a week ago oh wow we were speaking tongues not drove by there but we were speaking some. the place i'm going to tell you about mm-hmm. and it was after show we hadn't hung hung out hung out in a long time and we, you turned you said what are you and nikki doing i said i don't know i guess we were going you're like you're like let's go to big egg and get breakfast <laughs> yeah. and we sat at that place for four hours they were like <laughs> They were so fed up with all of us being there. And it was like the most fun I had had at a show in a long time because it was so freeing to not have to deal with the politics of the Canton Y shows and some of the personalities you had to deal with just to do a show and some of the personalities at the shows and the band you had to play with. And it just felt it felt more akin to what, um, you know, when we first hooked up and everything. But at mm-hmm. that point, were you still doing Harry the Spy?
1: Yeah, I think that was a Herod the Spy show. I remember I remember that night very well.
0: Um, yeah, so...
1: It was a Herod the Spy show. I don't remember who else played, but I remember being super stoked that you guys were there. I want
0: to say it was Kerosene 454. Did you play yeah, with they, them? Really? They still existed at that point? I, we played with them. Like- Nikki dragged me to see them. I was upset about it. Yeah, I can't... <laughs> I can't even, I don't even know how many times we played with that band because
1: for a while, like the first couple of times we went on tour, everywhere we went, the local band sounded exactly like that.
0: <laughs> so so yeah. you may have played with them more than three yeah. dozen times and yeah. didn't yeah. know it.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, or only once and they just, they, their influence was so outreaching.
0: <laughs> so how how was it on the road as compared to home as far as like what were the shows like for you
1: um it didn't well, I mean it changed a lot over the years you know the first the first time we went out there was like no expectations, and it was like some nights it was great and some nights there was like nobody there but it was just it was so much fun like it was such a it was such a great adventure to do together, you know like we just we totally fell in love with the idea of doing it from the jump and we just kept it up and you know it it built like over the years we kind of got to the point where like people would come back to see us or or people in the town would care enough to put us with a local band that people will come to see so it's a good show you know
0: but we really like we really
1: did it from like ground zero where like the first couple times we went out
0: when did the band end
1: i think 98 I know that our record. I know that our last album came out in '97, and I think that our kind of disastrous European tour was in '98. And how long were you in Europe? Well, we were supposed to be in Europe for a month, but we were there for like two weeks because, like, um, well, there was a lot. It was just it was a it was a real mess. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was a real mess. And some friends of ours from Kent happened to be uh, like train hopping around europe on like a vacation and our tour was such a mess that and i don't i'm not saying this in any way as like a slight on tom rachel but he made a decision one night that he was going to bail on the tour and train hop around with them and then the rest of us just had to like drive back to england and like rebook our
0: flights and come home oh man that sucks
1: so basically like our label really wanted a the label that we were on, the label that Unfuck With a Bullet is on is called Trouble Man Unlimited from mm-hmm. New Jersey. And um, he really encouraged us to go to Europe. And as a band that loved going on tour and loved traveling and adventuring together, we thought, yeah, we have to do it, of course. It'll be awesome. The person that booked his tours over there had a really bad experience with one of his other bands and called him and said, I'm not doing any more of your bands, like as she was about to start working on ours.
2: hmm
1: and then he scrambled to find somebody else to do it very last minute. You know, we should have just been like, fuck it. We'll do it next year. Yeah. Anyway, this guy is like, yeah, I'll do it. I like that band. He cobbles this thing together. So that that could have worked. But then at the 11th hour, this fucking weird ass two-piece band called Savage Malignant, these two identical twin brothers from England who look like the kid that plays the twins in the original Parent Trap As like 20 year old English boys somehow find Jamie online and convince him that we should, they should go on our tour. They'll make it better. And we don't know any better. And we're like, okay, sure. So they meet us at the airport. They take us back to their parents' crib in like the English countryside somewhere. They wake us up in the morning. Like they wake us up for no fucking reason like we're jet lagged these these two little boys come into the living room we're sleeping on the floor and they're like uh time to get up guys it's uh you know whatever it's 10 o'clock in the morning so we get up and jamie's like hey uh our driver was supposed to call Did our driver call?" and they're like yeah your driver called and he asked if you guys needed to rent any equipment and we said no because you were just going to use ours this is a two-piece band And we're like, what do you mean? Like, the whole plan was that we're going to rent this driver's equipment. And they're like, oh, well, here, come and see our gear. So they take us into this, like, I guess what used to be their parents' playroom for them when they were little kids. Right. And there's this, like, rinky-dink, like, Muppet fucking toy store drum set, one guitar amp that kind of looks like a space heater, and two guitars. Oh, my God. (laughs) So every night we had to borrow gear in Europe. The driver didn't think to say, hey, I want to talk to those guys. I man, I wish I wish I wish because he had our driver was Brian, the guitar player from Doom. So we could have just gone on tour with Doom's equipment. Yeah, <laughs> like
0: I no. love Doom. That's great. I never knew that. That's great. and he was cool. He was like,
1: he was such a nice guy. He was so fun to hang out with. He was like, uh, the first night after he saw us play, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm, you guys seem like you're pretty fun to hang out with, and I'm, I'm so happy that you're noisy because when people tell me it might be an emo band, I just get really worried. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, people's idea of emo really changed over the years. You know, and I remember oh, yeah. thinking a lot of people were always you know people would sort of casually toss that uh people who didn't like harriet the spy which i didn't know many people did because most people that i talked to about music are my friends you know they're like oh they're just they're an emo band i'm like uh they're a punk rock band i don't know yeah. what the fuck you're talking about oh, Dave, thank you but no i mean i i've always felt that in fact i was saying that from day one i'm like oh you mean the punk band from kent yeah no well, thanks that's cool. know, that's all we wanted to be um I didn't know you toured with that that dude. That God, he was. I would, I would have. I would have punished that guy. With and all well, sorts of Yuri
1: questions. Garcia was our roadie. So oh like, my their their friendship, their relationship that forged over those yeah. couple of weeks was like unbreakable. It was amazing.
0: Yuri's a really cool dude. I don't know him really well. I I got to know him a little bit when. It was us, Party of Helicopters, the Phelps, Hex, and on went on the road. And Yuri was with Party of Helicopters in their vehicle as far as Florida. And then he didn't leave Florida when the rest of us left. And then I saw him years later when he was playing in Bad Tat with Eland, who was a killer fucking band. Great. I love fucking that bands. band. I don't know if
1: they recorded anything. Okay, look, dude, I know the CDR is in my house somewhere and I will find it
0: because oh, there
1: is a demo and i definitely have it
0: i and i caught them because i i hadn't seen eland in forever in fact i had seen yuri more recently than i had seen eland that's how oh, wow. long it had been since i had seen him and i got there was a show at this diy space run by some sketchy guys in akron and uh I said, well, I'm going to go to the show. I want to check this space out and see what's going on because I was in between bands trying to figure out, you know, uh, if, if we start playing where, you know, things might be happening. I, I walked in there as Yuri and Matt. And I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. And They were great. <laughs> they were great. I was so were happy. Good. Those songs are so good. Yeah. I was so happy. And um, I love their appropriation of the run DMC. <laughs> Logo for Bad mm. Tat. I thought that was fucking genius before everybody in the world started doing that.
1: I thought that really, was great. Yuri's really good at band names and logos, man.
0: Yeah. Um, you know,
1: Teen Anxious, Bad Tat, VH1, The Y. They're all incredible.
0: Yeah. So you came back from Europe and it was, you guys were pretty much done then?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to remember. Um, we, I know we, we I know we played one show after Europe because it was the only time we ever played at the Equal Tavern, and uh, I don't remember the show, but it was funny. It was really funny, kind of getting back to my point earlier about like, nobody likes us here, so let's go on tour.
0: right.
1: So now here we are at the end of our life. We're playing at the Euclid Tavern for the first time ever. Our name is in like one of those ads in Scene Magazine, you know, where it's just like the list of band names at the place. Yeah. And it says Harriet the Spy, nationally known indie emo. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, you know, in some ways we had to break up. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think that like at the time, like Joel, like just like wasn't was particularly not feeling it. And I think that if the rest of us were like being honest with ourselves, we we probably weren't feeling it. And, you know, maybe like what would have been more constructive would have been to like take a break. Right. But, um, but you know, like in true fashion of like, keep going, keep doing stuff. Joel said he wanted to quit, so then me and Tom and Jamie started New Terror Class, which was like a pretty short-lived and kind of like thrown together and like forgettable band, so.
0: Yeah. But what took you to Portland? Just you're just.
1: Uh, I think it. Uh, well, my good friend Ken Meyer, uh, who played bass in uh, Kills of the Babies and Arms, first nine, uh, him and his wife, or his wife now, his girlfriend, then had moved here like a year earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always really liked Portland. It was always a, one of my favorite places on tour, just for many reasons it's just, i just thought it, it seemed like kind of a cool place to live uh my girlfriend at the time was like really hot to like move somewhere yeah so we just decided to move to portland which is interesting because then she she moved back almost immediately and i just stayed So <laughs> yeah i don't know i just kind of chose it based on you know ha- having a, a few friends here and uh just kind of wanting to like do something different and um yeah, I don't know. So now I've been here
0: for 20 years. Man, I can't believe it's been that long. I can't um, either. You did, um, Other did Other Men My Age. the did Other Men
1: Age with Ken. With Ken. And uh, Rick from Three Studies was also in that band. Okay. And our buddy Shane, who I don't think you've ever met, was a keyboard player. Uh-uh. And that was cool because that was like a much different kind of band. Like Ken just really knew what he wanted to do. He really wanted to do this kind of like kind of pop rock thing where he wanted me to be more of like a lead guitar player, which I'm not really, but based on like the songs he was writing and the stuff Shane was doing, on keyboards and kind of the direction Ken was giving me, I kind of like figured out how to do what he was looking for. And it was a really cool, like learning and growing experience as a guitar player.
0: Yeah. And then how long, how long were you doing that for? I think we did that for like six years. That's a long time. Yeah, it's a really long time. Actually, <laughs> Man, shelf life for any band, really, you know, in my mind, is always two to three years. But the fact that lasts five or six is pretty, you know. Yeah, we did it for a while. It took us a while to figure out how to do it. You know, there was like three years of like, <laughs> like three
1: years of me like trying to force it to be a punk band before Ken was finally like, "Dude, look, I have a thing I'm trying to do. Are you on board or not?" You know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He took you by the ear, twisted it, and said, look, Sonny. I mean, it wasn't like that, but it was definitely like, hey. Can we talk about how awesome Armstrong Secret 9 is for a second? I would love to. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, because that band like, getting back to like Jamie joining Her and the Spy after Velocipede quit, like, Velocipede broke up and like, I can't stress how important Velocipede was to like the scene in Kent becoming like a real scene, or or in the extent that it was, because it, 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 it switched from like two college bands with like a handful of high school kids that sometimes come to your shows to now some of those high school kids have now started this incredible punk band that is so good. And that, so now we have, now we have somebody else to play with and now more kids from the high school are going to come to the shows. Yeah, And then now, and then that's going to start more bands. You know what I mean? Like it, it just, it's, it's a snowball effect where like, jamie and ron and john finley and jeff Clapper, like that that was super important to our whole our whole thing becoming more of a thing
0: it was an influx of younger people who you know in a big picture things they're not much younger than you and i but back then But back then it seemed like a lot yeah it was influx of younger people who were you know eager to do new stuff and try new things and really you know i said is you know jamie ran with it faster and harder than a lot of people in any scene, anywhere, honestly. He's you know, a like very, very ambitious dude, man. He, I, and, I mean, I'm ambitious to a point, you know, dude. but that <laughs> dude's like, yeah. you know. He's so inspiring. So anyway, so,
1: all right, so then Velocity breaks up right. and Herod the Spy is in need of a drummer. And now Ron Wesley, the singer-guitar player of Velocity, is in need of a band and Kill City Babies has just broken up and Matt Eland and Ken Meyer... Are looking for a singer-guitar player, so we get Jamie and they get Ron, and they form Armstrong secret Nine. And now these high school kids are like, just completely elevated to like the point of our peers. Yeah. And now we're off and running, you know.
0: Yeah. That that record, "Corpse Came Calling," is fucking great. I so I listen. Good. I it's I'm not gonna lie and say it's in heavy rotation, but I do I have listened to it relatively recently. You know, and it's still really fucking good. It really,
1: really holds up. Like, it's so creative. It's 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 loud. It's punishing, but it's also like kind of weird. There's tons of like really fucking noodly, high pitched guitar licks, but then it still goes into just like feedback and pick slides and noise. It's it's awesome.
0: A band that like kind of, <clears throat> I think is sort of in a way forgotten the sands of time, except for by people like you and myself, and <clears throat> excuse me, a handful of other people. I, you know, if I if I if money were no object and I were like just this rich, wealthy old man, there are like a lot of things I would do. And one things one of the things I would do is like reissue records by bands that I think people should hear, and they would be on a short list. And I'm not just fucking saying that that record did, is fucking I great. I would I totally love- fucking do it.
1: I love you that ambition. Teach the world about ass nine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean like you were doing other men my age and then um, did you f- do organized sports right afterwards? I know it started off as a cover band, right? There's a pretty
1: long gap. I, Larry, I've been in so many bands since I've been in Portland. It's ridiculous. Um, a lot of like really short-lived things. I thought they were all good and I I really enjoyed doing all of them, but um, organized sports would maybe be like 2008 or 9 when we first started doing it mm-hmm. as of as a Void cover band. Um, our guitar player John Boy and our first singer Nick lived in a house together, and I lent Nick my Void Faith split, and him and John Boy went into this kind of like weird pattern where every single night they would listen to void and watch the shining like, <laughs> like every night for like weeks <laughs> and so they came up with this idea to st- to play it start this void cover band called the shining to play a friend's birthday party and like somebody else was going to play bass and i was like kind of like incensed about it i was just like well that's my record i want to be the bass player you know right and kind of forced my <laughs> way in and then we got uh, Jeff, our drummer, who was somebody that we really liked and knew really well and knew he was a really good drummer, but he wasn't really in a band. and He was like super into hardcore. So we got him on board. And then we that summer, we played like multiple times as a Void cover band because people just kept being like, oh, you want to jump on this show? You want to jump on that show? And then we started to write our own songs. And then like Nick moved away to work on a fishing boat. So we got Sam to like fill in on vocals but then like we decided we were going to keep Sam even though it was kind of like a tough conversation when Nick when he got back and then uh and then John Boyd just started writing like the best guitar riffs and I just said that you you got it I'll just play what you're playing I don't need to help write anything
0: yeah it's a really good record both of them yeah I like (laughs) it quite a bit how did it feel to be like in a what could be termed as like a straight up hardcore band after all those years? Was it kind of like.
1: I felt like I did, I hate this term, but it kind of felt like a bucket list thing. Yeah. Know? Like kind of had, because just because I love, I mean, I love, I love straight up hardcore. I've been in a what lot of so people from, who like some of it, but aren't that into it. So it just felt like something I like.
0: What prevented you from doing it earlier? I mean, you had the means. I mean, just, it just uh, wasn't in the cards or.
1: Maybe, yeah, maybe it wasn't in the cards and maybe it was just. A, a product of like the kind of people I was attracted to as friends and then bandmates and like, yeah, just kind of getting into like, Oh, okay. Well that this person's really good at like doing this kind of thing. And like together we can make something weird. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah. always like super, way more interested in that, like uh, that collaboration and like what can come out of like my influences and like that person's influences and that person's influences. I feel like it's the kind of thing that for me, made more sense later in my adulthood to be like oh cool these guys want to start a hardcore band I'm going to insist that I be the bass player so I can be in a hardcore band you know because <laughs> so, at the same time I was playing guitar in like a um, more kind of like rock punk band called Crypt of the Grave that was super fun and a really good band but you know that was again like all the other bands have been in like a very collaborative thing where like me and the other guitar player, who's my wife now and like our bass player, were like writing all this shit together and like bouncing ideas off each other. And so yeah. it was just really fun to like do like a um quote unquote genre band, particularly like one of my favorite genres.
0: So I, I wasn't quite sure how to squeeze this one in because you know, through the quote unquote narrative I'm trying to weave here, but when did you come across Stereo Lab? Um, uh, around the same time, I came across Huggy Bear and Unwound. Um, I first, I guess, I first heard Stereolab when
1: uh, the first drummer of Harry The Spy, Alex Hickox, was a freak for the Washington D.C. band Unrest, who I also mm-hmm. really like a lot. And um, he had a copy of the Unrest Unrest Stereolab split seven-inch, which is now like a grail collectible record. But you know, at the time, you don't know whatever. It's just like some fucking record that your roommate has. And I was really, really taken with the Stereolab songs. And then I sought out their music. And then I discovered that Tom had one of their CDs and uh, started kind of like working backwards from there. And um, so the reason that I put Refried Ectoplasm, the singles collection, as like my Stereolab record that I love is because like, through piecing together their history, I heard a bunch of those singles kind of like out of order and out of context. And uh, I really like it together because it's sort of like a document of their earlier work because Stereolab is a band that existed for like a really long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know the name for sure.
1: And they a lot of their records are fucking great. Like some of their like
0: very produced major
1: label studio records are fucking great but there's something about the, um, those kind of cheaper, quicker, more raw recordings. Because the band started as like, sort of like um, the concept of was it was, it was gonna be built off these vintage keyboards, you know, which now sounds like some really dumb hipster bullshit, but like in the early nineties, that's sort of like a pretty cool idea, you know? Yeah. And so if your band is like based off these keyboards that naturally distort a lot, And then you're making kind of rough recordings of that. And now adding two layers of guitar and bass and drums and two singers. It's this whole like blown out kind of lo-fi rock, you know, thing. Yeah. it's like very, very pop, but um, that stuff, the stuff that's on that singles collection just all has that quality, that like fuzzy blanket of distortion ambience. And it's just cool and it's just good. They're hooky, the the two women that sing have great voices. And it's interesting because it's like really like sugary pop music, but all the lyrics are like very political. It's just a really, I think it's a really interesting band.
0: crazy because like that's not all like i've never listened to them like not once i think you Um, might dig it i have i have a sense of my sense of them was that well this must this is dance music and i have no idea where i came to that
1: you could you could dance to it i've danced at their shows but
0: but what you just described sounds totally appealing to me and i'm gonna look at this record when
1: you night. should check it i think you'll look at that early stuff is very like uh crowd rock tra- inspired but but more but but dithered down to like shorter songs that are hooky not like drony hour-long songs rock they're you know, an f- english band right they're an english band but the singer the lead singer letitia is
0: french okay and a yeah. bunch of the
1: songs are in french
0: i was convinced for some reason like well that's just a dance music like edm or something right it's not that Right. Okay. So I'm completely, no, I'm completely wrong. And you have you know, uh, and you know, I never bothered to look into it. Being, you know, it is probably because I think maybe I was working at a record store part-time and I think I saw one of my coworkers buying a couple of their records and they knew that that person liked EDM. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's where I got that. And I didn't bother to
1: yeah, I can see the crossover because again, like a lot of their, especially a lot of their I mean, they have a lot of different periods Well, but I was wasn't
0: that... I wasn't giving that person enough credit for having a very div- yeah. you know <laughs> wide wide <laughs> right, taste right, in music. Right. I just knew that whenever whenever it was her turn to play music in the fucking store, I was always pissed because it was always some fucking techno horse shit that I didn't totally. want to sit through. they so like, like
1: definitely do sometimes like vibe out. And i I can deal with that play it play an atmosphere if you will yeah. but it's not not but it's all instruments and people playing them
0: right i well, will have to check it out for sure you know i don't know well hey man this is awesome i'm sorry the first one went kablooey
1: that's okay you know? i think this one was i think this one turned out better yeah well we'll I, see we'll i mean see. Gee, I it was so funny when,
0: when <laughs> i was listening whenever i listen back to any of these i'm like my thought is okay Find the through line early because if you don't, then this episode is shot. I think you're
1: really good at it. Yeah. I like your dictate, kid. You're going to make it really great.
0: Right. I want to thank Dave Neeson for hanging out. It's always awesome to talk with Dave and I've had a really great time with this conversation. Uh, if you want to interact with me on social media, you can do so on Instagram at Larry underscore Mouth, Facebook at BleachmouthPostscript, email is bleachmouthpsgmail.com. Uh, I don't normally like to date these episodes because I want to keep them, you know, as easy to listen to as possible, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the upcoming shows. Uh, At Annabelle's on June 4th, which is this coming Friday, you have Feds, Wall Creeper, Punching Moses, and Ringworm. Uh, Then our friends over at Keeping It 99 are having their uh, pizza party shows that that they like to throw. The first one is at Matinee, way ahead in August on the 13th, featuring Wall Creeper, Goose, and Super Corruptor. That show is free. And then further down the line than that in October... On the 15th is The Big F Show, featuring fully consumed feds, foul spirits, and fistula. That is also a pizza party. It's five bucks to get into that one. That one is at Annabelle's as well. Anyway, I just wanted to help my buddies at Keep It 99 out. Uh, Eagle and Grant have been super supportive of my podcast, and uh, I I was... Remiss in not mentioning uh, the support that Eric has provided with regards to technical uh, issues I had at the beginning of the podcast. But uh, check out Keep It in '99. Go to these shows. Uh, all the bands are fucking great. And um, yeah, that's it. Uh, keep an eye out for future episodes coming up. We'll talk to you later.
2: I will